Welcome to Massive Damage Adventures, a one-shot actual play role-playing game podcast. My name is Merrick Moyer. I'm the Dungeon Master, Storyteller, Lore Master, and All-Around Host. Every month, I run a one-shot using a different system, pulling in a different cast of players. All intellectual properties, including game material, setting material, music, and whatever else, is used without permission. None of it is ours. We're just using it to enhance our gameplay. But, an extra special thank you to Hayden Lister for letting us use his song Rediscovery as our intro. Check out more of his music at ReverbNation.com slash Hayden Lister. H-A-Y-D-E-N-L-I-S-T-E-R. Also, please rate and subscribe and follow us on Twitter at SkyHammerK and on Instagram at SkyHammerPress. If you want to run your own games and need a few ideas, check out our Roll D4 adventure prompts on social media. And if you pledge a dollar a month at patreon.com slash skyhammerpress, you get four full adventure seeds on every Roll D4 adventure. Published by the virtual tabletop Roll20, Burn Bright is the first RPG developed directly for the platform or any virtual tabletop as far as I'm aware. Burn Bright is a science fantasy adventure game with a custom-made system eight completely new and unique species for players, and a during-the-apocalypse setting called the Olaxis Galaxy. It was developed by James Intracasso, Darcy Ross, Kat Cole, and Jim McClure. We got a review copy of Burn Bright from the folks at Roll20, so thank you to them, and thank you to the designers. My guest today to talk about Burn Bright is Dan Witten. Welcome on the podcast, Dan. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Yes, and thank you again for uh, GMing our wonderful game and our wonderful sessions, as you always do. Ah, thank you. And talking about sessions, uh, the first time you were on the podcast was Invisible Sun, and then you and Katie also came back for Humblewood. Yes, and uh, also uh, Overlight was in there, too. Yes, you also did Overlight. How could I forget Overlight? You're, <laughs> uh, you were playing uh, a um, a pyroid. I was I was a pyroid warrior. Yes, a, yes, you a were. warrior poet. As I <laughs> as I strain to have a deep voice, despite the fact that I'm a natural tenor. <laughs> Uh, and of course, you uh, play D anD D on your own time, and you run games. Um, can you tell me a bit about what you like to see in a role-playing game that you're running or playing? Yeah, okay. Um, so for my experience with role-playing games is really very heavily in D&D. Um, really my only exposure to other RPGs uh, has been with Massive Dungeons Adventure. It's pretty much everything else I know is uh, D&D. Um, and while I do enjoy the mechanics and, and I like the battles and I like the strategy of skill challenges and everything like that, the main reason that I do play any of those games is because I like telling a story. Um, both when I'm uh, doing a character, I want my characters to have some sort of interesting arc and I try to uh, build them so that they have a little bit of a room to grow and some uh, ability to have an emotional depth and moments as you play. 
And uh, when I'm GMing, I always try to facilitate those moments for the players. I'm, uh, I like my combat. I, I want to have fun and interesting encounters and dungeons and worlds and everything. But uh, I'm really about just trying to have an interesting story with twists and turns and unpredictable villains and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, in the case of, um, of Burn Bright... I was the only one looking at the compendium content. I was the only one who actually got to read about the universe, except for the things that I shared to you uh, in our in our WhatsApp chat. So with the sort of amount of knowledge that you've gained and burned bright over the last month as we've been talking about it and then we got to play it, what sort of stories did, like do you think that this game uh, is really supportive to what you're looking for like can you tell good stories and burn bright absolutely i mean i'm a uh i'm a, a huge fan of like uh you know sort of space operas big star wars fan or firefly or guardians of the galaxy i think uh actually when we were building the session merrick uh, asked all of the players of uh several different shows like star wars star trek guardians of the galaxy firefly which kind of things we would like to um have sort of the feel of in the one shot. And I think we all pretty heavily kind of came down on sort of like Firefly or Guardians of the Galaxy. So I think it was pretty clear to really the entire party that this concept of just a bunch of weird, different uh, kind of characters on a spaceship, just flying to new planets and kind of poking their head in, seeing what trouble this planet's in and getting involved in some crazy shenanigans. And then kind of sort of the, uh, the fun family dynamics that build out from that would be super fun, but I could also totally see for a long campaign. I mean, I'd love to uh, sort of uh, see some building up some larger villain, maybe some sort of galactic faction who's pursuing you, or maybe you get involved in some sort of interstellar conflict. I know, um, well, I didn't read the companion content. Uh, you showed me a little bit about the Eno uh, so I could learn about their politics and stuff. And I could totally see some sort of, interesting factions and politics uh, building around that. So yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, the species entries in the game are very interesting and all have their own sort of strengths and weaknesses and story hooks. And then as you were talking about um, organizations and groups, they have these over guilds as well that are like, you know, big corporate monopolies, which give me sort of like a, um, uh, kind of a cyberpunk, kind of a Star Wars corporations feel. Uh, and so there's a lot of opportunity there to take your story in a lot of different ways. And then, like you said, space opera. It also lends itself, I think, the setting to having uh, your big Darth Vader type villain that could be causing trouble throughout the Alexis galaxy. Like, I think that there's a lot of opportunity to tell the story that you want to tell with the way they've built this system and this setting. Definitely. And I also, just as you're mentioning corporations and stuff, that makes me think of uh, one of the shows that I took big inspiration from when building my character was a show called Dark Matter. And uh, mm -hmm. I was uh, sort of trying to channel one of the characters on there a little bit. And I could definitely see how... Uh, the corporations or something just like they're sort of used in that show could be this overarching looming force and you could have uh conflicts with them and uh do all kinds of long stuff over a big campaign mm -hmm. okay so 
without narrative spoilers for the adventure, because uh, in this format, people will listen to this interview and then they'll get to hear the one shot. Okay. Um, what stood out as your favorite part of the RPG, of the game, of Burn Bright? Um, do you mean like the system or like of the story we played? What was my favorite moment? Like if you were to like either, basically, if you were to pitch this to somebody else, where would you start? What is the thing that made this game good for you? I I think if I was pitching it, I would definitely start with the setting. I mean, Hmm. um, I am a big fan of RPGs and I've really gotten into Dungeons and Dragons and that's a big uh, setting that's represented. But to be honest, if I was to pick a setting I prefer, I would enjoy space opera a little bit more. So just having something that was set there instantly is something that I can get into. But beyond that, if I was to talk about what made Burn Bright special, I found the uh, the battle system really, really interesting. Uh, the idea of how first the enemies tell you what they're going to do, you know exactly what their attack is going to be, and you can really just come up with any sort of skill check that your GM will reasonably agree to, to either attack the enemy before they attack you, or to counter it. I think that's really fascinating, and uh, it lends itself to a lot of strategy. And I also think it's really interesting where you could really go off the wall with some character concepts. Like, uh, just in the adventure, we got to see characters attacking somebody just with their their engineering skills or their computer skills, just by, you know, using their equipment. And these are the kind of archetypal characters you like to uh, see in these types of adventures. You want to see the engineers, the hackers, those kind of people, and just uh, the idea of any skill can be a viable combat strategy is really interesting to me. So yeah. that was one of the things that really jumped out at me about Burn Bray. Yeah, I would definitely agree. It's It feels cinematic because, once again, if we're comparing it to space opera and we're thinking Star Wars, when you see an engineer, let's, let's say it's R2-D2, and they're in a combat situation, they're not R2-D2 doesn't doesn't swing a lightsaber. R2-D2 interfaces with a port and then like something blows in the face of a stormtrooper. And that's the sort of thing that the open-ended skill system lets you do. Not everybody needs to be carrying a blaster. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting for, you know, for some, uh, you know, if we we go to D&D for an example, sometimes there's this divide of these are the characters that are good in combat, and then these are the characters who you are good at skills and other stuff. It's really nice mm-hmm. to uh, be like, no, this is a skill-based character, but just by the nature of the system, you can use it um, in, in combat however you can justify. Yeah, great point. One other thing that I really like about the combat system, and to explain it for listeners who aren't familiar with the rules, there's the three phases. The first phase, all the enemies declare their actions. The second phase, the players get to take their actions, which can be negating NPC actions or doing their own thing. And then the third phase, the NPCs finally get to sort of have their turn, and anything that wasn't negated takes effect. I was incredibly impressed by the design of this, because simultaneous systems are hard to do. I've seen them in other games, and they're complicated and weird. This was really straightforward, and it went fast. And it cut down on dice rolling because the enemies never rolled. Their actions either happened or didn't happen. And every player knew how difficult any one of their actions was going to be. Because in combat, the difficulties 
on your turn, go two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's just the exact same every time. So someone said, I'm going to do this. Roll. I succeeded. I'm going to do this. Roll. I succeeded. I'm going to stop. Turn done. And that's so fast. Yeah, I definitely agree. And to build on that, you know, Merrick's used to reading rule books for like a billion different RPGs. I'm someone who really only knows D&D. But when you explained it, I pretty much instantly understood how it worked and didn't really feel like anyone at the table was having that hard of a time following it. So even though it's very different, it felt very intuitive. It made sense from sort of a cinematic idea where the heroes we see, okay, that guy's going for that person. I'm going to I'm gonna jump in there and distract them or something. But it was also uh, just very quick and snappy. Mm-hmm. Especially with, we haven't talked about the, uh, the push your luck mechanic, where there's no yes. definite uh, cap on actions. Um which, as I was playing uh, more of a martial character in this build, in this game, I wanted to really uh, sort of start swinging my laser swords around. I could do that, so I could reasonably, uh, pretty much consistently hitting with uh, three attacks per round and doing good damage and feeling pretty uh, cool. But it's also just interesting to have that uh, mechanic where, like, you can make your turn as long as you want if you think you're lucky enough. Yeah. So, yeah, let's dive into those mechanics um, real quick. When you're trying to succeed at something, a complexity is set outside of combat. In combat, it's its own thing. And the complexity is the number of dice you roll, and the dice are equal to the skill that you're trying to do. So in your case, say you're using your melee skill with your laser swords, and it's, what was your, like a D10, probably? Yeah, it was a D10, yeah. There you go. And so if it's complexity 2, you roll 2 dice, and if those dice match then you fail. If they do not match, you succeed. And then, so yeah, complexity three is three dice, four dice, five dice. So conceivably, it's possible to succeed at a complexity ten if all ten of your dice roll different. I mean, <laughs> I'm not obviously, lucky, obviously yeah. not. But yeah, like you said, you can get in combat the two, three, four complexity actions in a row and be fairly likely to succeed. Mm-hmm. And then what would happen is if you fail, your turn immediately ends and the game master gets a uh, gets a, a com- um, collapse point that they can use to activate enemy abilities and do interesting things. And also I could really see, you know, being the kind of uh, player who wants uh, might to have those sort of emotional story beats or something, I could really see that coming up in interesting ways if there was a character reason behind it, let's say I was mm-hmm. dueling my arch nemesis, then maybe I am going to push this D10 melee skill as far as I possibly can. Cause I'm not going to give up. I'm just going to run it until I have the negative consequence because my character would keep fighting or I could see some interesting things with it that way, which would be fun to play with. Mm-hmm, definitely. So we've talked about a whole bunch of things we love. Is there any thing that you see as a problem with the game, or perhaps Burnbright's weakness. So one thing that I was dwelling on, which I really like the idea, but I think as a GM, I get a little frustrated with it, is um, the idea that there's this uh, random failure table whenever somebody hmm. uh, fails a uh, a skill check, and I I think it I think it was just outside of combat. I, I think that in combat. 
failure always resulted in those uh, points to the GM. I'm not sure if I'm right on that. Yeah, you could do either or. In combat, it's uh, the GM's choice to take the collapse point or roll on the failure table for a consequence. Yeah, and I really like that. And I think for GMs who who really just want to throw a bit of randomness into their games and shake things up and um, sort of let the chips fall where they may, um, I, I think that's a really fun mechanic. But I think if I was GMing it, I might want to use it a bit more sparingly because I could see it potentially throwing a wrench into an adventure that maybe would get things a little off track. And, and I know that often in a, in a RPG, you want to let things get off track a little bit and let the players sort of break the game a little bit and see what happens in the story. But I also think there are those moments where you might really be building to something specific and the GM might want to sort of guide things a little more from the background. And then having this uh, table that pops up and the, all the players can see it and it's like, well, I guess we've got to go in this direction. I think there might be times that that would sort of get in the way. Um, but th that might just be something that as you develop with it, you could have fun with it. So I definitely see the strengths of it. But I think there's times where, as a GM, I would maybe prefer not to roll on. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. Um, when I was coming at it, I was thinking of it as, oh man, I don't need to think about things. Cool. Let's roll and find out, I guess. But it did come up in the game where we got a um, we got a result on it, and I'm like, I don't, I don't know how this applies. Give me a yeah. minute. There was and a like, couple of ones that were were even sort of sort of a, a little abstract to the point that mm -hmm. I wasn't sure like I maybe in a specific situation that prompt would have been like oh I guess we got to do this thing that's crazy but the, some of the results were like this doesn't really fit and we weren't really sure how to even make it work so I think there was a few of those um that I wasn't a fan of so it was like some of them it seemed like they didn't have an impact that even made sense to the point of what's the point of it being there and then other ones were like well, if you were a GM who had a very specific like moment planned, this might really throw a bit of a wrench into the mix. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, like you said, maybe the answer is just the Game Master says, um, you failed, and so here's the consequence. Or, ah, I don't have anything off the top of my head, let's roll on the table. As opposed yeah. to, you have failed, roll the table. I think that would be a fun house rule. Just making that a resource available to the GM, but then saying the GM has complete power to say, well, I know what the result of that would be. It's this thing. Yeah. I think one of the things that uh, the design intent of it is that D&D &D in particular has this problem where you fail and then you fail to neutral. Yes. Where, like, yeah, so I didn't unlock the door. Now what? Yeah. Now what do we do? And mm -hmm. so um, this is an interesting solution to that because every role has a consequence. And that can be exhausting, but it can be a, a benefit. So Yeah. And I, I know that's one of I know that's one of the things where like I've I've watched like, you know, certain YouTubers and people talking about how when you're DMing, that's a thing that you should try to come up with. Let people sort of fail forward. Like their failures don't fail back to neutral. You come up with a consequence. But that does put it on the GM. So 
having this tool to be like, okay, I'm not really sure how to do that failing forward. So let's roll on the table. I think that's a fun tool. I just, mm -hmm. I, I think if I was uh, running a game of Burn Bright, I would make it something I could do, not necessarily something I have to do. Yeah. And yeah, that's a expectation to build with your table. Mm -hmm. Be like, hey, everybody, so we have this cool fail table, and we're going to use it most of the time, but not all of the time. Um, okay, so let's move on and talk about the integration with the actual virtual tabletop, because that's a big selling point for Burn Bright. How did you feel it operated on Roll20? Did it take advantage of any strengths of a virtual tabletop, or did it just feel like a game run on a virtual tabletop? Well, I think with the, um, one of the things of the dice rolling being so simple was pretty nice. And uh, it was just being able to uh, click on something like, okay, I'm going to use my engineering skill. I click on that. And um, and I'm trying to even remember it because we played this a little while ago. But I think you, no, we set in the complexity ourselves. We would just yeah. say, I, I want engineering. And because the system kind of tells you uh, what the complexity you're aiming for is. You're like, I know that it's going to be a four because this is my fourth attack or whatever. And then it uh, instantly says, okay, you fail or you succeed. You can seal your dice rules there. I thought that was really nice. I thought that was really snappy. Um, and and I, I did enjoy that uh, quite a bit. I uh, One of the things that uh, I even mentioned to Merrick is like, well, I kind of like rolling dice. You know, there's sort of the fun novelty of actually having the plastic cubes in your hand and getting to mm -hmm. see them fly. But as far as something that's very accessible that you could just sort of send to a friend and they just sign up for Roll20 for free, and then you just hand them this and it's just a, a couple of click button clicks. And even if they don't understand the mechanics of the dice have to match or something like you could even just sort of for dummies, just like, okay, click on that one, click on that one. And you can see whether you succeed or fail and then maybe sort of pick up the rest as you go. So mm -hmm. I thought that worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, the dice rolling, I think is definitely the, the best sort of example of how it's been integrated. Well, I think one of the examples of where it needs more work is the inventory system. Um, it didn't feel very, very polished. Like adding and uh, subtracting things from inventory was very easy during character creation with the character Mancer that I did all myself. But when we actually had the finished character sheet, it was a little clunky. Right. And, and I, I never fully figured it out. Yeah. And I, I will say about, uh, I, I know that I had certain like race abilities and, and stuff that uh, I wasn't even fully sure where to even find them because there is just sort of this long menu all the way down and they didn't really come up that much. Uh, and it's also sort of in the inventory. Uh, it's kind of the same setup where you just uh, have to sort of scroll down a long list. And yeah, that maybe could have been uh, put into some sort of more intuitive menu or, or something like that. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for inventory, even just a text box where you can write in your own things. Right. Yeah, something but, a little more customizable. Yeah. Um, 
talking about your character's abilities real quick, uh, one thing that we kind of house ruled on the fly while we were playing the game was advantages. So advantages are supposed to be capped during combat uh, to your ship's livability. And when we were playing, I was like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. Dan's got a bunch of abilities that are really, really cool if they're if we have more of these. And we can't get more of these, so forget that. Let's just figure it out. Um, I actually went back, reread the rules, and chatted with uh, one of the designers, James, um, about why it is that. And so the short answer is that characters should all be made together at the same time to double-check things like that. Um, because livability is supposed to encourage everybody to invest in the ship and make it a home and to uh, get a whole bunch of successes to build your ship to open up availability for those cooler higher level abilities that I had given you at character creation and so it is yeah it is intentionally a limiting factor um, and they said that uh, James said that during playtesting uh, advantages were incredibly powerful. And that's why they're um, kept to just combat. Because if we had them outside of combat, you'd never fail. Right. So, some interesting things there. And, like, while we were playing the game, it was like, oh, we're in the thick of it. Let's absolutely have ton of tons of advantages. But if you look at it from a large ongoing campaign point of view needs a little bit needs a little bit of a curve right okay but I, I'm trying to remember I mean in uh, in combat whenever a combat ended we would lose all of our advantages right and you'd have That's to like correct. spend uh, I, I like you'd have to be doing some of your roles to gain those advantages and yes. I mean it's not, um, you know, actions per se, but it is still sort of like there's a limited sort of action economy. So if we did actually get up to, you know, like six actions or something to really let Nova Solania use some of his high level abilities, that would have been a lot of people investing their turns into that. So yeah. I, 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 I mean, over the course of a, I could maybe see it being abused if. There was, like, one enemy, but where we had, like, multiple enemies or something like that. It didn't seem like that would be a huge problem, but again, we only played one session. Yeah. So, we just have to take it on faith for now that the playtesting <laughs> sort of dealt with it. But yeah, right. I mean, it's an interesting thing. Maybe maybe it makes sense that livability is the cap for Nova points, and double livability is the cap for advantages. I don't know. Right, little things that you figure out for your own home table, right? But uh, yeah, because the way I built your character was to build a whole bunch of advantages quickly. You had one ability that, when you created an advantage, you actually got two, and then you had another ability that you got a bonus when there were four advantages, and then you got a, yeah. another bonus when there were six. I don't even remember if I used those abilities, so don't, <laughs> don't get excited so. for those folks. I think it was I totally all slashy, stabby. <laughs> then it all worked out. Um, okay, so we kind of touched on this a little bit. 
we played it as a one shot. Yes. Do you think that Burn Bright is the sort of game that is the best as a one shot or the best as an ongoing campaign where you get to explore these stories and characters? Well, um, I didn't get a chance to really delve into the compendium content, so I wasn't fully aware of how um, in-depth the lore was there and how easy it would be to transform into a full campaign. But like we sort of said before, it's definitely something that, you know, if we had the opportunity to, a chance to really sort of build this big space epic and uh, something that... uh, you know, I, I think kind of one of the charm of some of these shows that we mentioned of, um, you know, people in their crews sort of jumping in spaceships and flying to new planets for an adventure. There's always sort of that uh, that nice safety you get of like we're back on the ship and it's kind of like our vehicle for adventure, but our home. And, and there's sort of this camaraderie and, and fun of being on this ship and, and traveling to more and more places. So I think, uh, and we even, in the one shot, we sort of got a little chance to do that in the ship. But having a chance to sort of return to that and just for adventure after adventure, having that uh, sort of pattern to it. And there's something kind of fun about that or, you know, somebody who appreciates those kind of uh, space opera sort of uh, fun Firefly type shows. I could definitely see a campaign there and I think it would be fun to do a campaign. I think that I... I definitely come down on the idea that this would make a really good campaign as mm-hmm. opposed to a series of one shots. Um, yeah. That, that being said, uh, episodic would be really, really fun because when you were saying like, go back to the ship and I was immediately picturing every episode of Firefly or Star Trek where right. it's like, Oh, something broke down on the ship and everybody's actually like, we're not going out on adventure. Mm-hmm. Something happened at home. Yes. Yeah, Totally. And those are fun changes of pace, and mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there, baked in. Yeah, and it, even just a collection of one shots or something. It's like I've got an idea for what's going to happen on this planet. Let's do that. It's the crew of your uh, ship, and, and they go on this adventure. All right, I put it down for a little while. Oh, I've got another idea for another planet. So I could see it being something like that too, that you'd have a lot of fun with. Mm-hmm. And I mean, one thing that I definitely want to look into is their advancement system so you every character has their own story path that they're trying to advance and we didn't explore that at all because we knew that this was going to be a one shot so right i I forgot about those but i did think that was super fun and i think um that would if i'm gming because i often like to encourage my players to sort of have those kinds of goals like tell me what you want tell me what sort of things you're looking for and then i can integrate it into the story and then even Mm -hmm. having it and as i remember uh looking at a few of them they were quite vague and they still allowed room for lots of creativity and people to sort of build on what they would want to see that fits that particular build yeah Uh, absolutely so I think that'd be really fun to do in a campaign, for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with what you've seen of the game and played of the game, and uh, assuming that Roll20 wants to expand it, what do you? What would you want to see? What would make you say, that's a good product, I'm going to pick that up on Roll20 and play it with my friends? Like more ships, more maps, campaigns... Uh- one of the things, I'm not somebody who's gotten 
too far into pre-written campaigns and adventures. I really like to uh, to write my own content. So I know there's some people who'd be excited for that. Not for me. Um, one of the things for me that I, I might uh, enjoy is maybe a bit more race options. Um, I, I liked the races, and I thought there were there was a few that really stood out to me, but I didn't fall in love with all of them. Um, I think a few of them were sort of geared to a uh, little more of the really weird, which some people were really into. Um, but there weren't a ton that I sort of instantly fell in love with. So I think uh, a few more of those, um, and I didn't get a chance to read more, but uh, just some factions, maybe some... Uh, some uh planets which are like this is the planet where this cool thing happened and just kind of like um really sort of just throwing out some concepts for gms to sort of just pick up and run with uh, those are the kind of things that i really go for mm -hmm. yeah like gazetteers and story hooks and that sort yeah. of thing. yeah absolutely story hooks and stuff and like that I think that they've got a really good opportunity to do that in a really like uh, combined mixed way where they're, they'll be like, hey, here's a token pack for this planet and here's a whole bunch of creatures that are on this planet and here's a bunch of stuff that could be happening on this planet. Right, like fun maps and, and stuff and tokens just to really just a, a bunch of little sort of Lego bricks to build your own things with. That's what I would yeah. enjoy. I think that that would be pretty cool, especially if there was like a, you know, like a $10 a month and they put out a packet every month sort of thing. Yeah, something like that would be cool. A little or booster. Just, like a new expansion, like, oh, here's this new corner of the galaxy or something, you know, yeah. that dark region or something that um, was, you know, unexplored or something. You know, you could you could have a lot of fun with sort of building the story around that too, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, if you could play Burn Bright again, um, like this particular game or this character, uh, is there any one thing that you would do differently than what you did? Knowing a bit more and hmm. having a bit more experience with it. I think I would, I liked my character, but knowing what the combat system is now, I think I'd, I'd want to really try to come up with something that I could really run wild with. Like, um, I just sort of like looking at the skills or something, like maybe figuring out a, uh, a character who manages to attack purely with like his decorum or something, or just like talking people into like accidentally like tripping over something or, or um, you know, I, I, I obviously I'm a big Star Wars fan. So that's why I gravitated towards the laser swords, but realizing that you could really just sort of run wild with any uh, character and you might be uh, not having to worry about them in uh, fights or something like that. I, I think I, I don't have an idea right now, but I'd really like to, try to come up with some off-the-wall concepts and then run it past the GM to make sure I could get away with it. I think in this game you probably could. Nice. <laughs> Alright, uh, so before we wrap up, anything else that you want to say about Burn Bright? Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I think that uh, it's got some really neat ideas that uh, 
I think were, were quite uh, simple and interesting. Um, but And uh, it's just a, a fun setting. And uh, yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for chatting with me about the game. All right. Well, thanks very much for having me. Yeah. Uh, and thank you very much to Roll20 for sending us Burnbright to play. Special thanks as well to Darcy and James, uh, two of the lead designers who have been coaching me and signal boosting and helping the review game all come together for you listeners. And before we head into the game, our players today included our good friend Dan Witten playing Nova Solania, an Ino, oh, sorry, an Eno duelist, Katie Witten playing Margaret, a Zivoy hacker, Patrick McGeehan playing Nalazek, a Rornan mage, Nicole Ogle playing Willpat Vela, a Glean mechanic, and Jen Blackmoyer playing Cree Bregtrot, a Kithuk scientist. The mining settlement Venture 331 in the Ghost Belt Vistus system has a dying planet and a broken spaceship. They've paid for the supplies they need to fix their old boomer, a pre-MI form of transportation. Unfortunately, the parts shipment has been repeatedly delayed as ship after ship broke contract. The miners in Venture 331 are desperate, and their contact has offered you a tidy sum for the job. You'll be paid 50,000 Argent to deliver these parts to Administrator of Buck Salaprinteris, a functionary of the Wesh Overguild. So, on the way now, you are flying through the Ghost Belt, you know, a day or two away from uh, Venture 331 and the Vistus system. Uh, you can ask any questions that you want that you would have uh, known about before getting into this job. And uh, the other thing to be looking out for is that the Ghost Belt is well known for pirates, space-based monsters, and other cosmic perils. I don't like that I heard your smile. I'm so excited for space pirates. What's that about space pirates, Jen? I'm excited for space pirates. Just looking at the map, I can see the ghost belt, but I don't see the system you're talking about. Because I made it up. <laughs> Legit. Uh, have we introduced ourselves? Good point. So this crew has been traveling together for some amount of time, and you're all familiar with each other, but might as well go through it. So let's start with um, just the people at the front of the ship moving our way back. We are Nalazek. We are Doctor. <laughs> I'm basically a giant horde of bugs that are telepathic. What color are your bugs? Uh, emerald green. Ooh. Like scarabs. And how many, like, um, segments do they have? What do you mean? Like, just one? Do they have, like, two body parts? Like, a bee? Well, they're insectoids, so three. If we put you in some kind of a tank, will it make more of you? 
No, but we breed and die in equal number. So bugs will fall off, but more are constantly being bred so that we are constantly making the same amount, generally, of bugs. So you just leave bugs behind you as they die? Correct. And if some are cut off, they die as well. You must be super gross. They're living with a bunny. You just find your bugs everywhere. We clean. Good. Is like little funerals? No. We are not worried about death. Cool beans. Dan, you want to go next? Sure. So, uh, my name is, uh, Ardonio Davi Saibela Nova Salania Gel, but uh, my friends know me as uh, Nova Salania. You know that I am a uh, an Eno from a uh, a very high ranking family in the uh, the um, House No, uh, in charge of defense. But uh, frankly, uh, Nova Salania doesn't enjoy talking about uh, his life in the uh, the courts of the Eno Empire because all of that was quite boring for him. The truth is, he. Uh, he didn't care for any of the um, responsibilities, the courtly duties, or anything like that. He really just wanted to travel the stars and find adventure. So uh, he uh, took his uh, laser sword training and uh, ventured out into the cosmos to make an name for himself. <laughs> That's awesome. Once again, the full name is Ardonio Davis Aitala Nova Salani again. Did you have to practice saying that before this game? That's basically all I did for a day of work, is just practice that name. <laughs> just yelling it's that out loud. It's really good. You say it's so smooth. Very nice. You're up, Jen. Hi. I'm Cree. Cree. Brig. Trot. Hi. Yeah. I do research. And I like to learn things, and there's lots to learn in space. And she is a Kithuk, which are generally considered a martial species, but very much a scientist. I'm a bug, but just one bug. I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about like, what did you do in Burn Bright? Three of the species are Bavoy that we're about to meet. Margaret? I mean, slugs are pretty close to bugs. I was like, yeah, I guess slugs are bugs. Uh, hi guys, so my name is Margaret. Um, I'm basically, but I'm also really awesome. And so like, basically about me, all you need I just do what I want, basically, um, and I'm I'm just the coolest. <laughs> I already said that, but it doesn't matter. Oh, that killed me. I'm going for like a lumpy space here. That's very <laughs> accurate. <laughs> Love it. And Nicole, you're up. Okay, my name is Willpat Vela. Willpat will do. Um, I am sort of a cluster of feathery looking fronds with something resembling a head and I move on tendrils in this almost floating rolling motion and I'm not super respectful of staying on the floor so you've probably caught me like on top of cupboards on counters wrapped around a 
support pillar. You know, the floor is not totally a necessary thing to walk on. And uh, I'm an engineer and an artist, so I spend my time either tinkering with machines or painting masterpieces, and occasionally painting masterpieces on tinkered machines. I cannot wait to see your masterpieces. What Excellent. a strange group. So, um, uh, Novo Solania. The engine room is very uh, colorful, by the way. Love it. Nova Solania, Nalazek, and Kree Bregtrot are uh, in sector one of the ship when uh, their sort of entertainment sort of blinks out for a second and you can see sort of this uh, sort of abstract representation of a face and it says, hey guys, it's EB. Um, I'm picking up some stuff, uh, you know, outside Maybe you wanna. Maybe you wanna take a look at that. That's the voice of your ship. <laughs> <laughs> Is there like? Can we com screen on this particular device, or do we have to leave and go somewhere else? Uh, you can take a look at this, but generally it would be uh, heading up to the pilot's chairs and getting a full readout. We will go there. As Bugman is heading up there, I'm going to just ask E.B., uh, what do you mean by you see something? Are you saying there's uh, danger, something we need to be wary about? I mean, I don't really want to be shot out of the sky, so yes. I'm going to uh, follow uh, Bugman. How do I say your name again? Nal- Nala Zek. Nala Zek. You may call me Nah. Okay, and so as you interface with the computers, it's pretty clear, like, sort of uh, report up that there is um, some sort of residue in space, some leftover, uh, you know, travel of some other MI ships in a small fleet. And EB's threat assessments suggests this is probably a small attack group of pirates. How are you going to avoid them? You don't see them anywhere, but you're definitely in their space. So it's just on, like, scanners? Yeah, like, basically, there is the space equivalent of tracks in the mud. Oh, gotcha, I see. We're reading their chemtrails. Yep, their chemtrails. That's probably accurate, because whatever is pushing out this engine is probably leaving some type of chemical. So the entire ship is powered and propelled by the magical intelligence EB. The Eternal Burninator. <laughs> May they never be freed. I don't want to be freed. I love being your ship. Good. Uh, <laughs> when we use a computer, uh, just a big swath of bugs cover the entire surface, and then individual ones will like push down as if typing. I picture, uh, like, Novo coming and, like, sitting and, like, going to push a button and maybe, like, flicking a bug out of the way. We I think I would, I would steer clear of that. If I if I reached and then, like, saw the uh, bug hand coming for the console, I would, like, back off. Well, we're shared. You catch his bugs. Like a kitty. Uh, is there any... 
um, like a comm system we can use to like contact everyone on the ship? Yeah, easily. Okay, I, I'm gonna grab into that and then just say, uh, "Excuse me, uh, crew of the Eternal Burninator, would you mind coming up to the uh, cockpit? It seems that we might have some trouble with pirates." Uh, guys, I'm sitting by the guns. Should I should I shoot somebody? <laughs> randomly into space. Margaret doesn't like pirates. All right. So, what do you want to do? Attempt to stealthily fly under the radar. Okay. So, uh, let's say that we're just going to start it off nice and easy with a complexity two challenge to stealth by some pirates. Uh, a six and a four for a pass on my stealth. Woohoo! Yeah. So complexity two, and you got a D eight in stealth, and you succeed. Um, so you kind of. Um, map their trails a little bit and and find a good successful way to sneak by what you would assume their patrol routes would be and you make a significant amount of progress. For this, you will need two successes. So let's have one other person um, contribute in some way. I've also clicked the D8 on my dice used. Yeah! Heading towards Nova Points. Uh, a giant two-foot-long slug barges into the engine area <laughs> and says, Hey, guys, I'm really good with computers. Like, if you had to pick a number of computer and how good I am at it, it would be 12. Um, do, you guys want me, do you guys want me to do it? I think I can do it. And then <laughs> I'm waiting for you to say anything. I just, like, slob onto the computer and start, like... Blobbing it. This is going to be a very difficult adventure. (laughs) Okay, so um, what do you use? uh, What are you doing with your computers? How is this going to get you by pirates? I was going to hack into their (laughs) mainframe. Sure, we could say that they've got like. you know, this is really fun. What if uh, we discovered that there's like some minor, like small satellites around that they use to like notice people and you're going to hack into them? Oh my God, I think I stole Jen's idea. Get out of my head! <laughs> uh, so yeah, we've we've suddenly established that there are some tiny like little scout satellites that um, you're on the outer sort of uh, bubble of being noticed and you can attempt to... Uh, hack into them so that they don't notice you. That would be... We're going to say that's a complexity four. Does somebody want to help with that? We can help. How does Nala Zek help? Oh, you don't just help? You got to make a skill roll? You don't need to make a skill roll. I just want to hear narratively what the bugs are doing. Uh, Margaret... And Nala and Nalazek get along well in that we both, uh, all of us, are not super friendly with uh, just like being normal. Uh, so I'm going to use uh, presence to uh, bolster its spirit. Sounds yeah, good. I feel like really bolstered, and like I feel like I can do this now. So thanks so much. You have many powers in your whatever you are. So your complexity is reduced to three. 
I totally passed because like I knew I would. I've always believed in myself. <laughs> All right. So um, the sundry transport ship, the Eternal Burninator, also known as EB, crewed by this interesting crew, passes through pirate space without any complications. Yay! I just kept watching the documentary we were watching. I see you took my seat. Our seat. I was I was actually under you the whole time. I just moved out so Mary could see me. Yeah. <laughs> I just swarm uh, over like a suit of armor. Hey, all of you guys who are my friends who are on the crew, I was thinking since we have some downtime, you guys should totally... I have this board game. It's called Stroids. It's like this tactical game in which you have to collect as many planets and moons as you can. Do you guys want to play with me? I like games. Awesome. That's all I know about it from reading. Uh, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll play with you. Is I have also, I have a board game in my equipment. <laughs> Merrick should not have given this to me because I was going to abuse it. <laughs> I believe somebody actually has a tabletop role-playing game in their equipment. I have a video game. Uh, so Will Pat heads to the kitchen slash lounge where there's some open table space. Uh, Margaret is setting out the board game and Cree comes to play as well. Mm-hmm. We find no use for games or boards. All right. Well, you pass a lovely evening uh, with your crew playing board games. Uh, Nalazek and Novo Solania uh where do you? What do you do? I, I must admit, I am a little disappointed we didn't meet any pirates. I was uh, looking forward to testing my metal and crossing blades with a, a brigand, but uh, I suppose I'll just go to the cargo hold and uh, swing around my laser swords and think about the battles that might have been. <laughs> yeah, yep, makes positions. sense. <laughs> Curl up on a on a box. Oh my god, yeah. in the bits do you sit? <laughs> we just have open crates everywhere, and like paper bags laying on the floor. We every so often like make it like an inch smaller to see if he still sits. We have like big vases. Yeah, Burnbright's gonna have a lot of cat jokes. Nova Solani is accustomed to being pampered. He grew up very wealthy, so only the <laughs> finest boxes for him. <laughs> carved deep like oak all right so the day passes without uh, any other interesting events and you come within visual range of the planet vistus now from the information you had before it was a you know relatively nice planet uh oceans uh green spaces uh lots of different biomes when you get a visual it is not that. The entire surface of the planet appears to have been transmuted into multi-hued crystals. Purples, blues, uh, yellows and greens. You know that this is the sort of thing that happens when a planetoid collides ever so slightly with the burn. 
Sometimes there are many, many things that can happen from major storms to like just being destroyed to portions of it being pulled apart to creatures showing up. All sorts of odd things can happen, but this looks like that sort of situation. And does that happen like instantaneously? Like it touches and it just like chemical reaction crystallizes or is it slow? This is not exactly something that happens often so there's not much research on it it's just seeing that it's your assumption that this planet has collided with the burn or grazed it i must research and you maybe get a sense of why a whole bunch of ships broke contract so there are people under there there are you're delivering these ship parts to a settlement on the surface. Is this like something that's dangerous if we come into contact with the planet? Like this effect would happen to us and we would crystallize? You don't know, but you could attempt to find out. I can try to find out. Sure. So let's assume that the ship has some sort of capabilities. Uh, how are you going to find out? With my knowledge. I will scan it looking at like the um, the components of the chemicals and um, see if it would um, I'll take sample I don't know and I'll be like oh yeah no this doesn't react with organic material or oh no this will react with our ship but that's bad alright so uh, go ahead and make a knowledge roll doing some science stuff and I would say the complexity is three Uh, it's not working now that I've gotten over I passed with a 795 okay so what you see is that there does appear to be um, things living on the surface that haven't crystallized it does seem to be only the planet itself Um, a lot of the Plant life is dying off, and there are some major storms, some very strange things. One thing in particular is that um, there seems to be this sort of magnification effect with the local star that um, as the light sort of hits the planet, uh, if you're on the opposite side you are in like this very, very powerful beam of focused light. Deep. So it's like shooting laser beams all over the planet? Um, more like uh, through the planet and into space. Oh, like the whole planet is a crystal and like you can see through it with light? Yeah. That's flip and terrifying. It's definitely a really... A strange phenomenon, and it's not something that's very easy to um, sort of see the effects of or to uh, track how it's going to work. But you can, you know, come at the planet from a different angle so that you're not flying in through sunbeam. Seems wise. That sounds like a great idea. Cooked. I'll br- we'll bring us in uh, sun side and not beam side. 
Okay, so does somebody want to uh, make a roll to pilot down to the planet? How does somebody get the ship down while avoiding the strange atmospheric phenomenon as well as the glowing, powerful sunbeams? With I'm, could I use a, uh, a perception roll on that to... Uh, if I took control of the helm being uh, with a keen eye and awareness, seeing where the dangers would be and taking us in gently. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I would say that the difficulty is probably complexity three because it, it's, uh, it's a really good use of the skill, but it's still difficult. We will assist with our many eyes. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Nova Solanio and Nala Zek um, work together, and uh, the complexity is two. All right. And as I do that, uh, I am just noting, looking at it through the window, that uh, I heard about the crystallization of planets. And I know it is terrifying, but I must admit, I, it's somewhat beautiful, I'm ashamed to admit. Hooray. All right, so uh, rolling two D12s and passing with a six and a five, you bring the ship in, um, carefully avoiding all of the dangers and uh, going to the coordinates that you have for this drop-off. You fly over, like, crystalline fields, oceans that are, like, in basins of crystal, all various color, uh, colors and coruscating lights, uh, eventually coming to the settlement, uh, Venture 331. And you can see that it is uh, below the surface, and the stone that was around it has crystallized into sort of like a dusky reddish hue. Um, the settlement is made up of a whole bunch of connected domes and uh, tunnels, and... Uh, there is a large sort of blocky looking ship uh, on a pad where people are working on it. You can see um, various people moving in and out. Uh, and as you're sort of flying in, people are pointing at your ship uh, with excitement. Sorry, so they're underneath the crystal? They are. They are in a little bit of a cavern. But they've like dug up to the surface too. They can get out of the crystal. Uh, yes, they can. Now, is it, um, what do, what were we bringing for parts? Do we know what, what specifically? Generic boomer ship parts. (laughs) Okay, boomer. (laughs) Boomers are the older generation of ships that nobody uses anymore because there are a whole bunch of advances that have been made in um, technology for transportation. Now we all fly Zoomers. That's right. <laughs> really? No, you fly ships um, piloted by magical intelligences. Okay. I was like, where are they called Zoomers? And uh, EB, as you're sort of flying in, goes, I can uh, find a really good place to set down over there. Do you see that super old ship? Oh, it's such a good thing that people don't have to fly in those anymore. Yes, I know. Boomers have become completely obsolete because uh, they really couldn't keep up with the technology. (laughs) (laughs) They operate on these old, 
fuels. Fuel. Well, let's uh, try not to be too critical of it. If it can save these colonists, then uh, why don't you sit it down there, Iggy? Fair point. Fair point. So uh, you settle yourselves down and a small crowd uh, begins to gather and you can see that there's a very large mixture of uh, species here. This is a, a mining settlement. And so people would come here and settle and try and, you know, make their money. Um, and uh, you are aware that they were mining plasma. What do we use plasma for? Plasma is magic. Ah, ooh, fancy. Plasma. I would like. Yeah, go ahead. I would like to wriggle my way outside and start taking landscape photos. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. You're getting a lot of, you know, it's it's very similar uh, because you're looking at all of these crystals, but the strata are very, very interesting. Like uh, sometimes there's a variation in the color, or the light will pass in such a way that you get some. Um, like almost rainbow like effects. I have a very important question. Yeah. Do we all breathe the same atmosphere? You do. Ha <laughs> <laughs> Convenient. You all also speak not stand each other because of com badges that magically translate. Uh, just sort of looping back around to plasma. Plasma is the like fossilized remains of space omniscience. Like we were talking about space dragons. Yeah. Harvest. Um, and so they, uh, you settle down and the crowd has gathered. Pat goes out to take some pictures and uh, someone sort of presses her way forward in the crowd. She's a very large peace craft. Uh-oh. The, the robot folk. And she's got... Um, sort of like yellow fins, uh, mostly a red chassis, uh, four eyes. Uh, and she stands about 12, 13 feet tall. And she kind of leans down a little bit to you and says, Well, howdy, folks. I'm Rainbow Concord. What brings you here? You Are you our... Um, are you our... Our uh, shipment folk, you, you bring the parts we need. Okay, her picture was lovely. Her like demeanor is just lovelier. I adore her. We have brought parts for your craft. Well, that's good news indeed. We certainly need these to get moving. Um, I expect you're going to want to speak to um, to the supervisor. Probably. Well, we can go ahead and start getting things uh, unloaded, but I gotta say, we're um, we're having a little bit of trouble here. You can say that ten thousand times. We um, well, uh, there's been a little bit of um, a dust up between the mining supervisor and the overguild functionary. Tina Lyron and uh, Ovbach have been sort of at odds. I don't want to say that they're f- um, fighting and all, but it's uh, a bit tense. Oh my god, I totally love drama. You have to tell me everything. 
It is. We're not so fond of um, sharing with outsiders, but I'm sure you could uh, have a, you know, a nice chat down in the down in the mines. Um, Supervisors down there. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) The supervisor who we are meant to uh, collect our payment from. Um, well, I'm sorry. I'm just a, um, I'm just a crew chief. Uh, I'm working on the repairs and I got to say, uh, it's been really rough going. Uh, administrator of Bach has been, uh, taking a whole bunch of our people off of the repairs of the ship, working on more mining. It's, um, it's been slow going here. Uh, the parts will help. But, uh, you know, shorthanded and all. Uh, I'm not certain who you would be passing, uh, getting your pay from, but uh, I think it might be of Bach. We will investigate. I have a quick I'm just going to wriggle back into this. Co- oh. uh, hello, Wilpat. Welcome back. I was just asking a question about uh, how long did you guys become crystals? How long ago? And she's kind of looks around and you get the sense that, you know, Rainbow Concord has a very even keel kind of personality. The rest of the people, they don't have as much of an optimistic uh read on the situation. The people here look tense. Uh, some of them look angry. Um, a bunch of them look impatient. But uh, Rainbow Concord says, well, it's been about a month now since um, the event. And uh, it's been a little bit more trying on some of the locals. What are we looking at, like, population-wise? Uh, about 500. Okay. Is there, like, a hefty uh, percentage of one particular race? Or is it, like, an even keel? Like, there's a bunch of Ronan and... Um, you see... It's, it's mostly equal. Um, you'd see that probably there's a slight majority of uh, Ulrans. What are those ones? Those are actually the uh, crystal people. Oh, I see. Um, it's their, they turned the world. It's them. Oh, you've solved the mystery. I'm a good detective. Here, hang on one sec. Um. So, Olrans, Olrans. Where are my Olrand handouts? Where are my Olrands at? You oh, see, like that guy. Whoa! He's so big. <laughs> yeah, so you know, bright neon colors, um, like full single piece faces, but like with glowy eyes underneath the surface. Why am I not playing one of those? He is awesome. 
And so, you know, there's a whole bunch of those. Um, and and mixtures of many other races. Uh, there's fewer peacecraft than anything else. Um, yeah. Very nice. So, what was, like, that event you talked about? Like, what happened here? Oh, uh, well, I'm sorry to report, but the burn has been getting mighty feisty around here the last couple of months. It's uh, jumped forward a couple times, and um, about a month ago, planet was real close to it, kind of grazed it a bit. Um, the whole thing just... Whoosh, crystals. So, um, some of the folk here are kind of worried about food, as the planet doesn't produce none anymore. And, um, well, also worried that the burn might kind of jump forward again. So, priority is really to get this ship back into space, but, like I said, uh, Ovbach, sorry, forgive me. Administrator of Bach um, has been kind of fixing to tap that new vein of plasma he found. Well, hell, we should go investigate. Yes, I'm sure that uh, this was just because uh, he did not have the part. Now that we've arrived, we will talk some sense in here. I'm sure we will have you off in the way to safety in no well, that's real mighty kind of you. And we have permission to board your ship and uh, just uh, unload those pieces? I will assist with your unloading. And if you want some installation while we wait. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. Um, we have a whole lot of work to be done and any extra hands would be useful. I have no hands, only tendrils, but I will try. Understood. I'll make sure to um, keep that in mind. You seem uh, real uh, confident about your skills. I, I look forward to working with you. Well, shall the rest of us uh, go and find this administrator? Yes. Yes. All right. So uh, they will tell off, I guess, you know, this... Um, Olran, gentlemen, to uh, show you to the um, to the mine entrance, and he introduces his name as uh, introduces himself as Frongo. Love it. Hey, everybody, it's Frongo. Margaret, you've only got one name, like you. You are much prettier. Und- undoubtedly. I-, I already know, you guys, that I'm, like, super gorgeous, so, but, like, thanks. Again. Every time you flick your hair, I just picture you're flicking one of your, like, slug eyes. <laughs> oh, slappy. slappy part of the side, just, like... Oh, it was, like, a wet slap every time you do that. Sprays, like, <laughs> some thick fluid. Just... <laughs> All right, so while everybody's going to meet with the supervisor or the administrator, um, could I get Will Pat Vela 
Um, how do you, what do you do to help them? What skill do you use and how do you accomplish things? Well, I suppose hmm, I could use power to help carry things. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, just a complexity too. Oh, okay. I am small and squishy and technically an amphibian. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's do a let's do a roll. Let's find out what happens with the with the thingy. I like to imagine you just there's like a box that you've climbed on top of and are trying to lift it from above. Something you thought was true is a lie. Oh. Okay. You're so <laughs> So, uh, Wilpat is, um, like, carrying a whole bunch of things and sort of, like, you know, having a little bit of trouble with the large uh, ship parts. Uh, you're basically pulling them out of the ship and loading them into, uh, you know, small vehicles and driving them over and getting things going. And um, um, one of the people that uh, is sort of working with you is just giving you like this really nasty sort of uh, sneer all the time. And this person is a Kithuk. So it's a large uh, sort of gray shelled bug person. A um, whole bunch of like uh, it's got like it's walking on two hind legs, but it's got four big legs and it's like carrying things really heavily. And at some point when it's walking by you, it kind of clicks very uh, aggressively and says, um, over guild lackey, stay out of my way. Sorry. What's the over guild? So there are a number of over guilds in uh, the galaxy. I believe there are five and they all have um, like sort of a portfolio of influence and they're basically corporate monopolies. And so you had heard that um, administrator of Buck Salaprinteris was part of the Wesh over guild, which is focused on infrastructure. They're sort of an overguild in decline right now because they were all about, you know, building new things on further away planets, but now planets are kind of getting burned down and people are moving further into where there's already stuff built. How long ago was the burn? Uh, a couple decades, I think. So it's like fairly recent. Yeah, pretty recent. Okay. Um, I'm just going to like struggle with all of my pouches and rearrange all my tendrils and be like I don't actually work for the overguild sorry you're wrong and it kind of and like then I'm gonna look... like shuffle past oh okay um, <laughs> and so as you do that it kind of like shouts at you and says we know you held out on us we know and we will fight you fight you until death and then, like, turns oh. and keeps walking away in the opposite direction of you. But your planet is a laser. 
<laughs> okay, and then so the rest of you, um, you go into some sort of like uh, elevator shaft that brings you further down into the planet, uh, into the mining areas, and the uh, Ulran that is walking around Frongo says, well, you know, these are all the uh, the uh, old tunnels, and uh, they were mostly tapped out, and we were kind of getting ready to pack it in anyways, but then, you know, the, the event, the planet crystallized, and then suddenly you could just see new veins of plasma just, like, running through the planet. You could see them through the crystal. So, you know, we started building a couple of other things, uh, a bunch of people didn't really like that idea, thought that we should be focusing on the ship and getting out of here. Um, I kind of feel like that's right. We should probably be focusing on the ship, but I mean, uh, the administrator makes a lot of really good points. There's a lot of, a lot of plasma down here. A lot of, a lot of good stuff you could be um, bringing back to the core worlds. You know, uh, I've... Uh... I've had the privilege of uh, a, a fairly a fairly comfortable upbringing. And one thing I can tell you is uh, you can have all the money in the world, but uh, if you don't have your life, then you're not going to be able to spend it very well. I, I think that uh, I understand the temptation seeing all this, uh, these resources, but uh, it's a bit foolish to not be emphasizing survival. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. But I mean, it's not for me. It's it's for the society. It's for the for the guild. It's it's for the planets that need it. Like this is going to save a lot of lives if we bring it back. If And so you sort of like hit the bottom into sort of this newer area and uh Frongo says, "Well, you know, um not certain exactly where the administrator is working out of right now. Uh, it's been... Oh. Well, he hasn't come back up in about three days now. That's weird. But, um, anyways, you know, good luck. Have fun. Uh, say hi to Ovbok to me. How I'm long do you usually stay down here? Oh, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, people could be mining down here for a couple of days. There's, like, you know, uh, spaces to sleep and so on. You, you got to get your shifts in. Do we have, do we have combat just? You do. Can I message Willpat? Yeah. Uh, Willpat, it seems like we may be down here for a while trying to find the foreman. Um, perhaps you should join us so that you don't miss us for three days. Three days? There's a man up here who says they want to fight us. I don't think that's a good idea. But I mean, do you want to fight? No. What about Evie? EB's fine. EB can control the turrets. That was going to be my next question. <laughs> we'll, pass, okay. we'll pass that to you because that is so rude. And like, if 
If you want me to, I I will squash them. She's very good at slapping. Yes, I know. He was very tall, though. I will come down there. All right. So, um, Wilpat, do you all wait for Wilpat? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he's a member of our crew. All right. So, Wilpat sort of, like, goes in and, uh, you know, some helpful people will show you the way to get where the offworlders just uh, headed. And um, as you sort of get to the elevator, uh, the Olran, Frongo, is stepping off and he goes, Oh, hey, you're going down? Yes, apparently they're going to be down there for three days. Oh, well, I mean, I don't think they'll be down there that long, but I mean, that okay, yeah, cool, cool. Uh, so you're going to want to go 30 stories down. Okay. <laughs> and I will, like go into the elevator, and then put myself in one of the upper corners for the ride. <laughs> Excellent. The door's open, and we're like, she didn't come down. <laughs> and then I'll just go, like, splat onto the floor, and come out. <laughs> no, we've lived I imagine with you. She's we, a very... we always check corners. Yeah, I imagine she's a very wet creature. Well, that's most of our group that's leaving some sort of trail. Okay. I mean, Novo's coughing up hairballs probably like left, right, and center. Our ship has got to be disgusting. I am very distinguished. I don't do that in public. I'm not the barbarian. So, uh, you step off into this sort of like red and purplish-hued mining area. Uh, There's a whole bunch of corridors um, and everything is illuminated by sort of like uh, tubes of glowing plasma as it's like being transferred from further in the um, in the complex up to uh, storage areas um, above and you can see like as you're walking in underneath you there's one of these tubes uh, uh, like beneath the uh, you know that like What's the word for that? That uh, you know, like the floor where it's got the holes in it. It's like the wrought iron. Great grating. It was a grating type floor, so you can have access to the uh, to the machinery below. Um, and there's this sort of like acrid burning scent in the air that you would associate with uh, new metal or or mining operations. I really like that smell. And yeah, you can see um, just sort of ahead of you, there's a hallway that goes straight forward. Uh, there's a door to the left and a door to the right uh, going down various chambers. There doesn't appear to be any um, any markings or wayfinding to tell you where you are or where you should go, though. Can I just yell out, like, as loud as I can? Just like, hello, we are, uh, we are looking for the administrator. Is anybody here? And you listen, and your voice kind of echoes a little bit, and then you hear <sighs> coming from the left doorway as two sort of glowing whitish blue figures float forward. Um, one of them appears to be a, well, formerly 
a driftling with uh, mostly sort of Ulran uh, body parts, but then a uh, an Eno head. Driftlings are shapeshifters. They take various pieces from all the other species. And then the other one is a uh, uh, is a kithuk, and uh, they are sort of like moving towards you, but floating just a little bit and a little bit see through. As we head into a combat, this just might be the foreman. I don't know why I ever thought that a game that you were running would be not creepy. <laughs> it's like what a tip, like a a very calm space transaction will have. I was thinking, like, I, probably with a, a bug man, like, what's what's my ceiling for weird and scary here? <laughs> like really normal for us. Um, now we have to choose the order we go in after Mayor tells us what the baddies are doing. Correct? Yes. Can't find pictures. Where am I? Okay, hang on one sec. Whoa! <laughs> Creepy. Ghost question mark? Kind of cute, though. Drums in the deep. Okay, and so the two of them sort of float forward, and uh, one of them uh, will uh, move to sort of slash at Nala Zek, and then the other one is going for Nova Solania. So one sec, this is how we do it. We go, this one is attacking Nova Zek, see, red to red. And then this one is attacking Nova Solania. Of combat having happened, uh, they are both sort of floating forward with, um, like, uh, threatening, slashy hands. Exciting. Exciting. Uh, You are welcome to go first. Thank you. I would like to throw a breach bomb. That's a weapon I have. Uh, it is a burst two consumable range ten, but I don't know what kind of damage it does. It doesn't say. Uh, damage is always one unless it says enhanced damage, in which case it's two. It is not, and it also doesn't have like that trick you were saying. Right, row it. Uh, how are you going to throw it? Skillfully. An option. Yeah. I, I range. Yep. So you can go ahead and you just like carefully aim it. Uh, it's your first action in combat, so it is uh, a complexity too. Excellent. Not even I could fudge this up. <laughs> I passed with a five and a four. Okay. Um, and then so what was it? It um, the bomb goes ten squares, and it does. It has a brute. It has a two area. Okay, so uh, it'll do like a two by two, and it hit both of them, and both of them take one point of damage. Yes, sir. And that's all I do. You can t- um, you can move uh, for free without taking any additional actions, and um, you could like create an advantage for somebody else or attack again. Do it, I'm Jen. Not, I'm not. No, mm-mm. Do but it. I will attack. I'll move back on the elevator bit. <laughs> did you move yourself back? I did, just as far as I could go, I think. Ah. Okay. Um, who would like to go next? I would like to get away from the monsters. 
Everyone alright with me moving away from being murdered? Yeah, go for it. I'd rather you stay. I wouldn't. So this is a cool thing, is I can occupy your guys' squares, so I'm gonna. <laughs> Jen says gross. Cree really doesn't care. And I do it respectfully. Like, we, when we swarm, it's, uh, like, to allow you to have free movement, just that we're occupying around you in a not personoid shaped object. Like bug armor. Sort of. Uh, but if something comes at you, we part out of the way and allow you to be struck. Because we Oh thanks. Yeah, we we're not that cool. Uh, and okay. we will uh, magic question mark? Sure. Uh, do you want to cast a spell that will stop them from attacking you, like a shield or like slow them down or something? We would like to destroy them. Okay, you can attack them. Absolutely. We will. So, uh, first roll is a complexity two. Uh, what are you doing? We will attack them somehow. With perception. Spotting a good... They're ghosts. How do you... I don't know. Attack I mean, their brains. Maybe it's knowledge, like you'd said. Yeah, but I'm trying to. I'm trying to do other stuff. You want. Actually, you want a different die size. I haven't done knowledge yet, so yeah, I'll knowledge them. Knowledge space ghosts. All right. So you, um, but you're specifically like going for damage. Yes, like a bolt of pure plasma. Ooh. All right. You said two. Yes, it's your first action. The five and a ten. That is a pass. All right, and you are attacking the one that's attacking you. You better believe it. Would you like to attack again or defend against its attack? As your first bolt of plasma fires out and slams into it, I will draw another bolt of plasma and strike it again. This time, right. aiming precisely for its vulnerable spots with perception. Mm. Sure, perception. Like uh, the plasma like hits it and it kind of rocks back and you see like this uh, uh, sort of flickering life force inside and you go, oh, I could hit that. We could hit that. We could hit that. Difficulty three? Yes, sir. With a 10, a three and a seven, that is another pass. And you slam a second bolt of plasma into it and and it sort of like fades into the ground sort of dissipating it like uh, like dry uh, dry fog do you we want to will. take another action we will end our turn here who would like to go next the noble Solani has been itching for a fight so uh, he's gonna pull out so my laser sword, do they extend like in Star Wars, or are they like a thing that I draw that's always at its full length? I believe they extend. Okay, then I'm going to take them out, ignite them both, and I have one yellow blade uh, that I kind of hold forward, and then I also have a 
purple blade that I hold somewhat defensively, and I'm going to charge it, uh, the still existing one, and just say, if you are our client, then you have a uh, very strange way of doing business. Excellent. I like that you're keeping it a little business-like, too. You know? So, like, can I just do the same skill over and over? Like, I can just do, like, three melee attacks? Absolutely. It just gets you no closer to earning Nova points. Okay, and as far as defending, like, does it? can I do my first action being defending and then my attacks after that? Are you sure can. Okay, so first off, I would like to position my offhand violet lightsaber um, defensively, and I'd like that to be an athletics uh, role to, like, try to um, gauge where I'm going to be struck and then try to parry it. Excellent. Love it. So, complexity two. All right. So, with a one and a four, you pass. Uh, The attack is coming in, and you easily parry it. Okay, I'm going to, with my yellow blade, uh, make a melee attack. All right, so yeah, that'll be at complexity three. That's a pass. Yeah, three and a ten, so you do one point of damage. Uh, Laser swords have piercing, so they ignore any armor. These are uh, shields. These don't have any shields, but just a heads up that that's what that does. Okay, and uh, I'm going to push my luck a little bit, and I'd like to make one more melee attack. Uh, bringing my purple blade around a surprise. It was defense, now it's going for the side kind of thing. Alright. Complexity four. Another pass. Well done with two, one, five, six. How do you want to do this? I would like to... Do they have a corporeal form? Uh, In a manner of speaking, they have sort of like a an energy that does appear to react to physical attacks not just the um, the concussion of the bomb uh, the shot of the plasma or the slash of your swords they do appear to be affected by the world around them okay um, I guess in that case I'm going to after getting my uh, first attack off I'm going to just swing around with that purple blade slice straight through its side and as I do that just spin into a straight 180 as I turn my back on it and it kind of ghostly fades and I'm going to just uh, shut off both of my laser swords and then just do a bit of a twirl and stick them back in my bag as I just kind of walk away from it completely not acknowledging it as it slowly fades. Is your tail squishing like with satisfaction? Oh yeah, and it like, (laughs) it's adorable but also cool. (laughs) Love it. All you want is scritches now. I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't, um, prim and down any scritches. He earned those scritches. Well, I think we found the route to go. Good job, guys. That was super cool. By route, do you mean we should follow ghosts? Yeah. Of course. 
These are very strange, I must say. Uh, perhaps we should investigate further. Thanks for listening to this episode of Massive Damage Adventures. We do a different one-shot every month, and I hope you check out our next one. Please rate and subscribe and follow us on Twitter at SkyhammerK and on Instagram at SkyhammerPress. Also, if you want monthly releases of homebrew content, pledge to our Patreon as a $3 minstrel at patreon.com slash skyhammerpress. If you want some outtakes, keep listening after I stop talking. So, super weird. There's supposed to be an unlimited uh, safety card deck, but it seems to only have three cards in it. Of which Patrick has all of them. Yeah, that's the best. Yeah, Patrick. So it can only be uncomfortable one time? I found it. I can turn it into an infinite deck. Damn it, Merrick. I had so much power. <laughs> Who is the luxurious kitty cat person? That's me. I'm all about the luxurious kitty cats. That is spectacular. Yeah, Merrick showed me a picture of like six cat people. I was like, which one do you want to be? And I'm like, one of them has a like dapper suit coat and a fancy hat. Of course I want to be that one. That's I mean, that's the choice pretty easily. That's the choice I would have gone with as well. I'm a bug. I'm many bugs. We are bugs. So this is a safety deck. It is uh, one of the lovely tools that is used to make sure that the game is fun for everybody and that everybody has the social license to remove content from the game if it is problematic for whatever reason. And the important part is the table doesn't need to know the reason. You can just say, stop, this isn't cool, let's redo the scene, and everybody will say, okay, and we'll figure out another way to go forward. So, you know, some of the things that come up, obviously, in a lot of the games that I run, we use lines and veils where we draw hard lines and we put a veil over things where, you know, when somebody does some content, usually sexually explicit, we fade to black. That sort of thing. And so these cards are a way to give the players the power to tell the GM, hey, you know, let's stop stuff. Or let's slow down and uh, think more critically about what we're saying. Or this is a problematic area, but I'm enjoying it. We can, everybody knows, like, cool, keep going. Dan, if you're getting attacked by ghosts, it's fine. We're not worried about that. It's a little harsh. Because uh, I know he's got ghost hunting experience. How do you know that? Just that's enough for you to know. Let me play a, a stop quiet card. Ah, right uh, gotcha. All right. <laughs> nice use of the deck. Computer, that's rude. It's. I have asked this little laptop to do a great many things that are quite beyond its scope, so I don't. Uh, I don't really fault it. <laughs> I insulted our Alexa when I said that. Our wake word is computer, so when she said computer, that's rude, Alexa started talking back and saying we could put in a help ticket. Or feedback. 
Sick. Why don't we pick the cryo chamber in the li- in the lounge and get four Nova points each? I mean, you could do that. I mean, that's like just axing for that, but gunk <laughs> seems good for not getting spaced. But safety. <laughs> but Quiet, safety. You. <laughs> I'm into lounging and hellgunk. Lounge and hellgunk sound reasonable. So Argent is a really interesting thing that I didn't quite talk about. It's the money in the system, and it's uh, it's sea monkeys. It's it's small microorganisms that grow. So if you seal your Argent in a in a jar, like in a growing jar for a while, you will eventually get more money. That's amazing. That's so, fantastic. <laughs> So the very best interest rate. The economic policy. <laughs> what they've found is that systems that have more argent on them, uh, magic works better. So it's in everybody's best interest to have a thriving economy of argent all throughout the galaxy. Oh, those are the chairs for the left? Yep, just rotating them. They have cup holders. <laughs> Sick. We just need spaces already off. Awesome. Having trouble. Oh, here we go. Having trouble could be my theme song. First unofficial question: Can you still say your character's name? Oh, oh gosh. Um, give me, give me a minute. Uh, Ardonia Davisa Bella Novasolani Agel. Beautiful. We'll bring I haven't that done up. that in two weeks. <laughs>